I want to encourage you, grab John 14, open it up, uh, follow along with me. John 14, we are, we are coming to the end, and uh, our sermon series has been looking at the last, last week of Jesus' earthly ministry as he walked on this earth. And we've entitled it Resolute, that uh, there was a point in Jesus' ministry early on in John where Jesus all of a sudden said he turned his eyes towards Jerusalem and he went to Jerusalem. And the reason for him going to Jerusalem is what? For the sake of giving himself up completely, dying on the cross, to give his life as a ransom for us. And so, normally in the church calendar, today would be Palm Sunday. I looked on Facebook and all my other pastor friends are saying, ah, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. I'm going, we, we did that at the beginning of Lent. That was the first Sunday that we celebrated. So we, we're still recognizing it. You, you'll, get a, you'll get your own palm so that warm fuzzy is still in there for you. Um, but we are now looking at the last day. We're looking at Thursday. Jesus is is having that last moment with his disciples. And these are, um, these are like sitting with your grandfather or your grandmother and they're at their deathbed and these are those last precious words that they share. And these are the, these, not that they're any more special than any others, but there's a certain gravity to these words that he says to his disciples. So as I'm thinking about these words that we're going to be reading, I I think about when I was a child. I went to the type of church that had a service in the morning and then every Sunday night we had an evening service. How many had a a twice? Okay, some of you, good. A morning and an evening. Now, in, in our tradition, it felt like every Sunday night, but it was probably only once a month, we had a hymn sing. And this hymn sing uh, was one of those times where it was started about 10, 15 minutes before the service began. And uh, anybody from the congregations, one, one person would get up in front and he'd call out, what, what song would you like to sing tonight? And uh, every gray hair had a song. You know, and, and I don't know if it was because, man, my song hasn't been sung or this has a special meaning as I've been raised in the church and it just resonates with me. But there was one, one song that it seemed like every hymn sing, it had to be sung. And it was out of the Blue Psalter hymnal. And almost everybody knew where in the Blue Psalter hymnal this song was. And the song was, He Lives. If those of you who don't know, I'm not going to sing it, but as I read it, there's almost part of me that just wants to sing it. Uh, nope, I'm not going to do it. Or maybe I'll call Todd up. No. I'll read it. It goes like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. And then the chorus goes, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? 
He lives within my heart. And that's just one of the songs you would see the saints and the organist would just, there would just be like this swell, you know, even though we had concrete floors, you could feel the organ swelling and it would just reverberating across the walls. But you would also see tears coming down to old saints' faces of this song, I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And it, those are just special moments for the church to sing these songs. And my prayer is that as we read the scripture together, and when this message is over, that you will be able to sing a song like this. Not just this song, but worship songs with more conviction, more joy, and a sweeter experience of fellowship with Jesus Christ than you've ever known before. It's my hope that as you hear these reassuring words that he lives, and he lives within my heart, that it's true. And my experience with Jesus is even more sweet. So hear these words. John 14, 1 through 24. John 14, 1 through 24. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take myself, take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us a father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father, and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, is neither, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you 
and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no longer. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you, you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said to him, answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. So these are Jesus' Some of his last words. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I want you to hear these words. If you want to be loved by the Father, you want to experience this sweet kind of love that is particular. You want to have security in this world. You need to know that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And it goes on to even further deeper implications because these disciples are going to be needing to be encouraged in the face of death. They're about to see Jesus crucified in a brutal way. The one that they have spent the last three years of their life following and learning and teaching and giving everything about themselves to, this one is about to die. And they are going to be needed to be encouraged, deeply encouraged. These words were just spoken before the greatest event in the world, in all of history, the greatest act of love in all of history, namely the death of the incarnate Son of God in the place of sinners like you and me so that everyone who receives him and believes on him will be forgiven of their sins and will be accepted as righteous by the creator of the world and brought into a never-ending joy of eternal life. The greatest act of all of history. It's not a war. It's not democracy. It's not the creation of United States of America. The greatest act of all history was going to be acted out, demonstrated before their eyes. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm about to lay down my life for my sheep. Friday is coming. And these sheep, these precious disciples, soon-to-be apostles, are, are confused. 
and need much encouragement because what they're going to face in the loss of Jesus is tremendous. And what Jesus does for them, and not only for them, but also for us, and anyone who believes in his name, is he gives encouragement. And his message here to them and to us is that when he dies, when Jesus dies, he will live again. So Friday is coming. We're going to be celebrating Good Friday. And as a kid, I remember going to Good Friday services. And they were just like this somber funeral service. But we need to know before Friday comes that he will live and he will give us the Father and the Spirit who will come with us and be with us and even reside within us and never leave us no matter what happens. No matter what happens, no matter what happens to us, God will be with us. And these disciples needed to hear that. That this is the good news. That though... The one who claimed to be the Messiah is going to die. He will live again. He will live again. So I want to make a couple observations. Then I'm going to ask a couple questions. First, couple observations. First, Jesus makes it explicit that the gifts that he is promising here are not given to the world. He is speaking to his disciples at this point. The love that he promises us and these disciples here is not the love that he has for the world. We, we talked about this last week, about John three sixteen. There's the love of God that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life there is that kind of god-sized love but here we're talking about this this personal close intimate loving kind of relationship like a husband and a wife that is reserved a deep passionate kind of love and here's this love that god reserves for his own you see this in in verses 16 and 17 where it says And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. And I love this. Jesus kind of puts this in in there. You know him. It's like this, this fact. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world does not know him. It can't see him. It can't experience him. But you know him. And Jesus gives us that encouragement in the midst of our tumultuous lives. Where you feel alone and life is beating you up, Jesus says these words, Listen, the world does not understand. They can't see him. They can't experience him. But you know him. You know him. And he dwells with you. And will be in you. And now we are post-Pentecost Christians. We know that he dwells within us. In verse 19, it says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Physically, the world will not see Jesus again. 
but you will see me. Verse 22, Judas Iscariot, Judas not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how will you, ma- will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So there must be some kind of way that Jesus makes himself known to us, even though he may not be bodily present as the third person of the Trinity. So it's clear from verses 17 and 19 and 22 that the gift of intimacy that Jesus promises and the help and love being promised in these verses is something that the world cannot see, cannot receive, is not given to them. They don't experience it. What is promised here is so personal and so intimate, also reciprocal, that is shared and relational that the world cannot receive it. So that's the first thing that we've got to understand. As, as Jesus is leaving, is, Good Friday is coming. As he is leaving us, we've got to remember that this is a special kind of love that he is giving us for those who are his own. That's the first thing. The second observation is that those who do receive these gifts, these promises, this, this love, are not simply called Christians or believers. Sometimes that, that sounds just really easy to say, I'm a Christian, I believe this. But four times they are described as those who love Jesus. When's the last time somebody says, so are you a Christian? That you said in response, yeah, I'm one of those that love Jesus. Does that take a whole different twist to things as opposed to, yeah, I believe, you know, I've got this textbook knowledge about, I, I know these things about him. I know, yeah. I'm a Christian. I got my degree in Jesus. But the understanding that a Christian a believer, yes, that's what we are. There is a far deeper explanation to who we are. And we are those who love Jesus. We got this in verses 15 and 16. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. If you love me. A conditional statement. Verses 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Do you see this deep love going on? It's not, it's not a love God has for the world. It is a deep, intimate, personal, affectionate kind of thing that is going on here. From God the Father to, through Jesus to his people and back around. Verse 23, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And the beautiful thing is that we, we think about Romans 5, 5, 8 that says, God showed us his love in that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. He, God did not wait for us to love him before he loved us. In fact, it would be absolutely impossible 
for us to conjure up love for God because we are dead in our sins. There's no way a dead person can express love, especially express love to God. It it requires a deep love that God initiates first in us. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he loved us first. The only reason that we are even able to have this loving, personal, intimate, affectionate love for Jesus is because he loved us first. We got to get over ourselves. God loved us first and enabled us then to love. And here's, here's another marvelous truth. In verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps him, he it is who loves me, and, who, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Or in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. In other words, God's love precedes and enables love. And God responds to our love and loves with a unique personal, intimate, affectionate, caring, committed love to us that only belongs to those, only belongs to those who love his son. So the first two things, two observations. One, these promises are not for the world. And two, they can't see them, they can't know them, they can't experience them apart from an experience of God enabling them to love. This love is for those who love Jesus. So two questions for me come out of that. The first is, what does it mean for us to love Jesus? And second, what are we promised if we do love Jesus? A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus was I had this interaction with a lawyer in the temple court where they were, they were trying to catch Jesus and said, so teacher, tell us, what is the great commandment? And Jesus quickly responded, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Here Jesus is is taking that and he's even, as he's having this moment with his disciples saying, listen, I I want to describe to you about what this love is. I want you to understand what does it mean to love me? And it's a question that we have got to understand as well. It's easy for us to walk out here and just say, yeah, great sermon. Yeah, I'm convicted. I got to love Jesus. I'm supposed to be a lover of Jesus. Yeah, got it. But what does it really mean for us to love Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us four times that this love is of such a nature, of such a nature that it results in us keeping Jesus' commandments and his words. It enables us. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps, keeps them, it is he who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The first thing to notice is that loving Jesus, loving Jesus is not the same as 
keeping his commandments. If it is, if I, if I just keep, my, keep his commandments, if I work, 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 and do, 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 these things, and I go through the Bible of my checklist, and I just keep on checking off, I, okay, I did this, I did this, I served, I gave, I did this. If that is equal to loving Jesus, it becomes a twisted form of legalism. That is not what it means to love Jesus. But instead, if we understand this right, love precedes and gives rise to keeping his commandments. Keeping his word, obeying his commandments is a result of loving him. Not the same as loving him. And we've got to keep that, especially me as, as a conservative, conservative, Calvinistic kind of guy, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's even more traditional conservative folks out there that just say, man, to be truly saved means you've got to do this, 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 this. And our church program's got to have this, 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 this. And we start creating a, a weird form of legalism, don't we? Or you have this conversation with somebody that you love or somebody in your missional community and just say, man, you know what we got to do? We got to do this. Okay, the question has got to come is, do we understand that our love is first coming from God and he enables our love and it conjures up something deep within us and this deep within us causes us to obey and keep his commandment? Is guilt preceding or is love preceding? So what is this love for Jesus that percolates deep within us to keep the commandments of Jesus? Well, first, it's a deserved love. It's a deserved love. For, for Jesus is entirely deserved of our love. He gave his life completely for us. He deserves it. He's worthy of being loved. He's perfectly lovely. He is it. He is not loved in spite of what he is, but because of all that he is. In all, he embodies perfection. He embodies worthiness. Love for Jesus is is pleasurable. It's desiring him because he's infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he's infinitely admirable. It's deeply, deeply, deeply treasuring him because he is infinitely valuable. Infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him and this is something that sometimes is difficult for us because we get the legalism issue, but we enjoy him because he is infinitely enjoyable. For those of you who are married, when you enjoy your spouse, those of you who aren't married, think about the, a person, a parent, a, a friend that you enjoy being with. When you are with that person, they are one that you want to give your time, your talent, your treasure, everything to because they are infinitely enjoyable. 
They're not a checklist of things to do. Jesus is infinitely valuable to us. So why can we say this? Well, it's, it's an automatic reflex of a newly renewed, a newly reborn human soul to all that is good and beautiful and perfect found in Jesus Christ. In short, loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Delighting in an excellent Savior. And Jesus says, doing excellent things, keeping my word, obeying my commandments is a result in delighting in me. And one of the things that we've been wrestling through even in our missional community is what does it really look like for me to be deeply delighting in God? To deeply be savoring and enjoying him for all that he's worth. What what does that even mean? Because that almost feels ethereal, doesn't it? But it's so true. If anyone loves me. He will keep my word. Jesus is worth it. Infinitely worthy of our love. The other thing that we have got to understand is first is, what does it mean to love Jesus? Well, it it means to treasure him right? Above all other things that we receive him, we abide him, we follow him, we give him because he is worth it. We desire him, we enjoy him. So the question, second question is, if that is absolutely true, what are we promised if we love him? What does it mean to love him? We treasure him above all others because he's, he's worth it. And what are we promised if we love him? Jesus gives these promising words to his scared disciples, his confused disciples. And ultimately, the sum of the promise is this. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you forever. Forever. And this forever is a a forever kind of infinity kind of thing. That no matter what trial, whatever you're going to face, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And it's not just this kind of, hey, I'm going to check in on you. Hey, how you doing, Martha? I want to make sure that you're doing all right. All right, I'll get back to you in about a week. We'll call that Sunday. No, it's this infinity thing where I will always be with you. And not only that, there is this deeply residing within you. We will never forsake you. You hear God say, we'll never forsake you, no matter where you are at. But to say that Jesus is piling up... 
a crazy amount of expressions. So I, I want you to walk through them with me so that you hear them, you see them, you are assured by them, you can rest in them. When you're going through the deep trials, when you're coming to the Good Friday of your life, when we are coming to, as a church to Good Friday, we remember that Jesus is always with us, no matter what. Verse 16, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. When he calls him another helper, he means that this helper is not the Father and he is not me as Jesus because I'm the first helper. The second helper is the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus returns to heaven, the Father will give the Holy Spirit another helper. And he promises that he will give you another helper. There's a promise there. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He will be with you by opening your mind, opening your heart to the amazing, glorious, brilliant truths about Jesus. He is with you now. In that way, we are to be fully Pentecostal, charismatic Christians. He is with you now. Do you get that? Seriously, the Spirit is within you, dwelling within you. Gift of the Holy Spirit is upon you. We are to be filled with the Spirit continuously, not just one time at our regeneration, but we are continually to be filled with the Spirit, and He is with us now. He was even with you in Jesus' presence. He will be with you now in a new way. As I pour Him out after my ascension, He is with you. And Missio Day Church, I'm not sure we get that. Because how do we live? We live in such a way that, man, I gotta knock this out. I got a lot of work to do. Man, I've got to conjure up this relationship with Jesus because he feels so far away. But Jesus promises, no, the reality is, is that he is with you now. He's with you. He's in you. Open your eyes to the truth of that. And then you go on. You see this in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Not only will the Holy Spirit come, Jesus will come and he will give us what orphans need. And what do orphans need? The orphans need protection and provision and guidance. And Jesus said, I will be all that and more. Now, in this life, I will be that for you. He will not leave us without help. He will not leave us as orphans. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I feel like an orphan. And if it's true for me, it is guaranteed to be true for you. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. 
you will not be alone. I will care, provide, give you the provisions. I'll protect you. When you are fatherless, I will be your father. When you are motherless, I will be your mother. When you are hungry, I will feed you. When you sense that there's no point or direction, I will give it for you. He goes on in 19 and said, Yet for a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and you also will live. In three days, I'll rise from the dead. But I'm not going to start my ministry on earth all over again the way that I ministered for three years. I'm not going to do a restart. I will appear to you. You will see me. And I will assure your hearts of my bodily resurrection. And you are going to see this. Because I live, because I am living, you also will live. You also are living. By extension of my life, you too live. You're no longer spiritually dead. You will continue to live. As I live in eternity, for eternity, for infinity, you too. Starting at this point, because I am alive, you too shall live. And that is an amazing, glorious truth that we have got to understand. Verse 20, listen to this. In that day, in that day, this is following verse 19 where he says, after a while the world's not going to see me, but you will see me. And in that day, you will know, one, that I am in my Father. Two, that you in me and I am in you. By my resurrection and you seeing me, it's going to affirm that my father and I, hey, we're one. But you're also going to know that you are also then in me and I am in you. You will have assurance and I will give it to you. Assurance that my father and I are one. And that you and I are forever bound together. Do you hear that? Forever bound. If you are truly in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you. Nothing. Oh, sure, you'll, you'll probably go wayward for a while, but there's nothing that is going to ever separate you from the love that is in Christ. Nothing. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot disappear off of God's radar. You are secure. You are his if you are in Christ. If death can't sever it, nothing can sever it. Verse 21. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. You see, my father and I have this special, close family love for you. And in that love, I will make myself known to you. I will show you things about me that the world can never even know. They will read this book as if it's just a a piece of fiction or a historical document. But as you read the scriptures, 
I will show you things about myself that you have never even known and the world can never even comprehend. And they are experienced only by those who love me and treasure me and receive me and keep my commandments. Verse 23 is the answer to the question, why this manifestation, why this revelation will not be for the world. Jesus simply says, it's for those who love me. If if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home, our home in him. This word home in our culture takes on many different understandings because we live in a twisted, perverted, sin-riddled world and home is misunderstood. For Jesus, he's saying, listen, this is the place of deepest security. You all have human father and mother issues. You all have human brother and sister issues that become the lens for how we understand home. And this word home here that Jesus used is used only one other time in the Gospel of John. And it's in verse 2 where Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. It's the same word as home. If it were not so, I, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And what it means is, if you love me and if you keep my word, my Father and I will come to you and in all your suffering and in all your trials, we will give you heaven on earth. We've prepared a dwelling for you in heaven. And the reality is, (laughs) we are that dwelling. We get so heaven-minded Oh, if we just persevere, we just keep on going, we knock another one out for Jesus, we'll go to that great green golf course in the sky where it's just going to be easy because that's going to be heaven or whatever it is that you find to be heavenly. The reality is that God is saying, listen, we are that dwelling. We, we are your home. And if you have me and you keep my word, we will come and we will be that dwelling for you now. We are your safety. We are your provision. You are not orphans. In fact, you've been adopted. And you're in, you're in the home So because we love him, 
because we love him, because he loved us first. First John 4, 19, because he loved us first, it causes us to love. Keep his sweet commandments. To receive him. To abide in him more. Let that sink in. Because you love him. As an expression of love. As an expression of relationship. Obey his sweet commandments. They're not a burden. They're sweet commandments. Because his home is perfect. They're sweet commandments. And if we love him, I pray that we would overflow. We would overflow with his fullness towards others. That as we obey and we find our our fullness in him, that it just... The only thing in my head right now uh, comes uh, a VBS song. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You know, makes lame to walk and the blind to see. So it's talking, this song, ultimately, I, I won't get into it because there's all kinds of motions and somebody will probably film it and they'll get out there on YouTube world. But, but it's this spring up a well. There's this, this, out of this overflow, this sweet, uh, this, out of this love that comes from God first to us, that enables us to love and compels us to love him even more. Out of that sweetness of love, we, we obey him and we grow more in this abiding, rich, loving relationship with him. And out of that richness comes this overflow, spring up out of well to love others. The, the church of Jesus Christ, the best testimony of what God has done for us is our love for each other and our love for the world. It is a visible testimony of the truth of God's love. And it transforms the whys and the hows we keep his commandments. And the promise is that ultimately he will come to you. The Holy Spirit will come to you. The Father will come and they will protect us and they will provide for us. They will lead us. They won't leave us as an orphan at all. They will comfort you. They will love you in a very personal way that the world will never know. And they will manifest, reveal Jesus to us. And the beauty is, they will make us their home. Kind of affects the way that we handle one another, isn't it? Spirit of the living God is dwelling in Sarah. 
she already, apart from Christ, had the image of God represented, created in his image, maybe fallen, but when she's in Christ, spirit of the living God is dwelling within her. Changes how we do conflict management, doesn't it? Or conflict resolution and reconciliation. If I believe fully that the spirit of the living God is dwelling within uh, Bob Chapel, it, it deals with the way that I speak about him to his face and when apart from him. God is dwelling fully in him. It, it changes the way that I pray. The way that I care for and provide for one another. It changes the way that we meet together on a Sunday morning, doesn't it? And it should also change the way that we sing songs of praise and worship. If the Spirit of God is deeply within us, dwelling within us, and His home is made within us, they're not just songs that we throw up on the TVs. It should confirm deeply in us. The Spirit goes, I'm the Spirit of truth. Those words are true. Very true. Sing them out. Maybe it's time that you get on your knees and pray and confess. As we come to the Lord's Supper, as, as we come close to this meal, this very tender meal, Jesus is saying, listen, this is my body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's confir- I'm confirming it in your heart. The gospel is true. You have been saved apart from any of your good works. I saved you. And I'm now dwelling within you. Be nourished by that truth. Be fed by that truth. It's the way that you're no longer an orphan. I'm still feeding you in this meal with the truth of the gospel. Let's pray.